to say something like, oh, Hitler was clearly in the wrong, duh, I mean, are you serious? Welcome back to the Getting Buckets Podcast. I'm Ethan. I'm David. Now, normally we would just go right into it with NBA news. Unfortunately, I think there is something else we have to talk about in light of some recent story developments this week. So we'll just get right into it. It's going to be in the title. Basically, there's been some anti-Semitism scandal in the sports world. So before we give our takes on it, I'm just going to basically say what happened as far as I understand over the week. So earlier this week, Deshaun Jackson, he is a wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. He posted a picture on his story, and it's from some pseudo-historical book that basically was a fake Hitler quote saying that essentially white Jews, which include me and my brother here on the host of the podcast, are not real Jews. The real Jews are black people, and that white Jews have basically in their quest for world domination enslaved black people so that they wouldn't know that they are the children of God. And it was a fake Hitler quote. And then this thing ends by saying that like the world war three will happen and that then everybody will know that Hitler was right. The, the backlash was incredible. And immediately Deshaun Jackson, he said something else saying, Oh, it's just peace and love. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but he kept it up. And then he, shared something again saying that I'm not meaning to hurt Jewish people. This is just the truth that I found. And basically it took like three tries, but finally Deshaun Jackson, he realized his mistake and he apologized and he had to meet with his team owners. The team owner of the Philadelphia Eagles is actually Jewish, by the way. It was a whole scandal and then things got a bit worse. Yeah, um, Steven Jackson actually, if for those who don't know, Steven Jackson is a former NBA player and he was a very prominent figure in the uh, Black Lives Matter movement because George Floyd, who got murdered, was his friend. So he became a very prominent figure in the movement. And essentially, after Deshaun Jackson made those comments and apologized for it, Stephen Jackson actually doubled down on those comments saying, oh, wait, what he was actually saying was the facts. People don't want to accept the facts. And he was just trying to educate himself. And it made him look really bad. And there was also a lot of backlash. And it took him, I think, like two days for him to officially come out with an apology. What had essentially happened, as I understand it, is that the next day after Deshaun Jackson had apologized, so it was like in the morning he posted something, let's say, and then that night he finally apologized. The next morning, Steven Jackson said, you know, what he said was facts, and he was trying to educate people on the truth. It became very clear that Steven Jackson did not actually read the post. He actually was arguing about something else entirely. He seemed to be upset about the fact that uh, a black player put something up and was roundly criticized, I think that didn't sit right with him. But the fact of the matter was the content of what Deshaun Jackson shared was just unacceptable. And Steven Jackson did not give in. People told him to apologize. It actually took about a day for the criticism to really get to Steven Jackson. I think most people didn't even realize. But what was shocking to me is that there were a couple of NBA players who actually liked his post, saying that what Deshaun Jackson said was the truth. And a couple NFL players, too. Right, and these include Marquise Goodwin, I think, J.R. Smith, Josh Akogi on the Timberwolves, a handful of others. So I want to start with you. I want to know your take, and then I'll give mine. Yeah, it was really sad. 
unfortunately, it appears to me that Steven Jackson really just has no knowledge of who Hitler was or what he did. And even going back to Marquis Goodwin, I was going on his uh, profile and there was, he was also getting criticism for liking that comment. And he put a post saying, I do not support Hitler. Hitler was clearly in the wrong. And to a, Jew, a Jewish person, no, obviously he was in the wrong. That is something that is so unsensical to say that it just makes it very clear to me that you actually have no idea who Hitler was at all. To say something like, oh, Hitler was clearly in the wrong, duh, I mean, are you serious? <laughs> like, really? Is that where we are, are right now? And obviously, you know, it clearly has like an effect on how they view us. I think that people are so used to the concept of these anti-Semitic tropes, they don't even realize they're being anti-Semitic. And I want to talk about those anti-Semitic tropes because one of the things that Steven Jackson did the day after he sparked controversy was he had an Instagram Live interview with a Jewish guy. I think his ad is Kosher White Wine on Twitter. And one of the things that he said to this Jewish guy was that, oh, but you know, the Jews controlled the banks. You ever heard of the Rothschilds? He said something like that. And it's just so offensive to tell it to a Jewish person because that trope, Jews controlling money, which first of all, a lot of Jews believe, by the way, and it's a very harmful thing to perpetuate because it's simply not true. So this stereotype that the Jews control the money, they control the world, that was, just, that was used as justification for genociding the Jews in Germany. It was used as justification for punishing Jews for no reason across Europe in the Middle Ages. And you see it, a guy like Steven Jackson, who's done so much good work for Black Lives Matter, for empowering communities in the wake of the George Floyd protests, you know, honoring the memory of someone who was his friend, someone who, until last week, I thought had not a single bone of hatred towards anybody in his body. To say stuff like that and to get so many things wrong about Jewish people was just really upsetting for me. It is important to note that as of... The day we recorded this was July 9th. He has apologized twice. He apologized on CNN for using the wrong words. He apologized earlier today on his Instagram for offending the Jewish community. Do you think that that is enough? To be honest, I don't know. I did see that he had a conversation with the rabbi today on his Instagram live. And that definitely is a step in the right direction. But I, until he stops like peddling these anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and uh, really hurtful things, I... I don't know what this one to say when is enough. I hope that he does and that he learns that those kinds of, kinds of things are hurtful and Jews, Jewish people in this country have been su subject to those types of things for a very long time. And we live in a day and age where it's unacceptable for anybody to utter those things. And there is no hierarchy in bigotry. You know, you can't step on somebody's back to promote yourself. And to all the athletes who have stayed quiet about this, shame on you because. You can't just come out and for Black Lives Matter, and then when you know, when something else happens uh, with with bigotry, you've all stayed silent. For the majority, I think three or four NFL players have come out and talked out talked against it. Most of them are Jewish too. Yeah, so it it was really disheartening to see. You can't be a social justice warrior and just cherry pick what you want. It's either you're against all hate or you're not. It's just simple as that. But I don't personally blame Stephen Jackson for what he said. In part because, and this is just unfortunately true, he is a student of Minister Louis Farrakhan. Minister Louis Farrakhan is a bigot. He is an anti-Semite. 
he is a homophobe, he is sexist, there has been a history of him saying horrible things for many years, and yet he still has a platform. Steven Jackson is an admirer of Louis Farrakhan, and many people are, I think even Shannon Sharp is, and when Shannon Sharp was talking about it, I really didn't like his comments about this either, they seemed too defensive, they seemed too unfocused on the issue at hand. As long as people are going to be listening to a guy like him who says such egregiously terrible things about the Jews, I mean, you can just Google Louis Farrakhan anti-Semitic and you will find dozens of examples of him calling Jews satanic, Jews are termites, Jews are not real Jews. There's so many examples of this and he yet he still has a platform. He just gave a three-hour sermon on July 4th on Fox Soul. So he still has a platform, he's still given a voice. As long as a guy like him is given a voice and his opinion is allowed in the mainstream, you're going to have people like this who think that these opinions are mainstream opinions. And something that I just want to say is that this ideology that Deshaun Jackson shared and that Stephen Jackson repeated, actually without even reading the content, is a very dangerous ideology. Is the ideology that says that Jewish people, including myself, are not real Jews. That we have tricked the world into thinking we are real Jews and are hiding this from black people. And this ideology is directly responsible just in the last year alone in two terror attacks on Jewish communities. In Jersey City in 2019, a supermarket was shot up by people who were allegedly members of a black Hebrew Israelite organization. On Hanukkah, in a synagogue, a guy took a machete and injured a couple of Jews, and he was apparently fascinated by the ideology. So it is an ideology that hurts people. It is an ideology that hurts Jews. I want to say one thing, and I want to make this very clear. If you're a Jew in this day and age who has stayed silent about Black Lives Matter, you cannot expect anybody to do the same for you. It is your job. If you want to stand up for our rights as a minority, you need to stand up for the rights of all other minorities in this country. And it is a fact that institutional racism is America's original sin. It is still existent in this country to this day in all facets of life. If you're not fighting against that, you cannot expect people to join you in the fight against anti-Semitism. With that being said, and I think I want to end this topic off here with your final thoughts. With that being said, though, anti-Semitism has been rising in this country. We have political leaders who have enabled it who have allowed it to fester in this country, who have given platforms to neo-Nazis and people who scapegoat the Jews through all sorts of nefarious means. We have allowed anti-Semitism to become mainstream. In New York City alone, according to the police, the number one target of hate crimes in my city were Jews. A city which has over one and a half million Jews in its metropolitan area. I would just like to say, I think that Steven Jackson is not a bad person. I don't think he meant to be anti-Semitic. I just don't think that he knew he was anti-Semitic and was refusing to listen to people who were telling him he was being that. And I think that most of the bigotry in this country comes from ignorance. It comes from ignorance. There's some really nefarious, horrible people in power who enable this. But the day-to-day racism that people experience comes entirely from ignorance. And I think that ignorance really becomes... Racism when you refuse to educate yourself, when you refuse to listen to people who are telling you you're being racist. There's plenty of these statistics that people use against black people, such as, did you know that 50% of the crime 
is caused by 12% of the population. That is a racist statistic that a lot of people share because they don't think they're being racist. They think they're just using math. It's empty math. It's empty stats. But people will just use that and they won't listen to others when they say this is a racist statistic that is just simply categorically false. And that's, I think, exactly what happened with Stephen Jackson. I think that he was just being ignorant and he refuses to listen. So I think what he needs to do and what it seems like he's been doing is I think he needs to really listen to Jewish voices, understand that we want to fight this fight with him. We just don't want to see someone who's doing so much important work come after the Jews and say horrible things about us and defend Hitler. That is just unacceptable in today's times. I agree, and I think it really just comes down to, as you were saying, um, education, because even like a couple of months ago, LeBron James was seen like rapping the 21 Savage lyric, and he was saying, oh, I got that Jewish money, and again, that's something that's very anti-Semitic, and he didn't even know that he was being anti-Semitic, so I just, I feel like that um, people, we're at a point in this country where people don't even know that they're being anti-Semitic. And obviously, as you were saying before, um, institutionalized racism is America's original sin and it still is its current sin. And we're going to have to keep on fighting that. But two wrongs do not make a right. There are still a lot of disadvantaged and oppressed communities that still exist in this country. And we really need to work together. All minority groups need to work together to eradicate it so it won't exist in this country anymore. Because if we... if Minority groups stay divided and refuse to stick together. That is when we will all fail in the end. So that's really what I have to say. And, you know, Deshaun Jackson, he's going to be giving a tour of Philadelphia's Holocaust Museum. If you want to talk to us, we are Jews. If you want to talk to us, if you're a listener and you don't know us, or even if you do know us and you want to talk to us, you can just DM us. Our DMs are open on Twitter, at GetBucketPod. We're happy to talk about this. These are important conversations. But before we move on, the last thing I just want to say is that Black Lives Matter should be the priority. It is the fight that we are all fighting right now. Black people suffer most in this country. And we are not saying that anti-Semitism discussion should take away from that. We are saying that these dialogues need to happen together. Because I'm saying this as a Jew, anti-Semitism is rising in this country. It is a fact. It's rising across the world. Whether we like it or not, we need to continue to be vigilant and we need to continue to stand in solidarity with other oppressed groups because there are people who are suffering more than us. And on that note, I think the thing I want to start off, you know, right now is July 9th. The players are starting to arrive to the bubble. And one thing that we didn't cover was that the backs of jerseys are going to have messages. So rather than having your name, you could have some sort of nickname or buzz phrase related to whatever you want so here's a couple of approved names that can go on the back of their jerseys say their names i can't breathe how many more and black lives matter and these are only some of the phrases and some of the players were upset because as mike scott a player on the 76ers said that it was a very bad miss on the hands of the nba and even jalen brown who's a player for the boston celtics said he was disappointed with the list that came out which is kind of surprising because he's actually a board member of the NBA Players Association, which leads me to believe that the NBA players and the association did not have a say on the creation of the list. This was manufactured by the NBA. But I'm curious, why would they just stop at 12? 
because nothing really stops them from putting whatever they want on the back of the jerseys. Yeah, well, that's the problem that there's only 12 and it's like 12 like generic phrases that can be attached to the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't think that it is a satisfactory job or even a good job that was done by the NBA in terms of these names that could have been produced on the back of the jerseys. And, you know, I don't think that the names on the jerseys are the be-all, end-all. I mean, we watched the MLS game because Major League Soccer is back. We watched that last night. There's a very, very powerful opening ceremony to the tournament, basically, where all the black players in MLS came out and took a knee with the Inter-Miami and Orlando teams. It was very moving. They did it for eight minutes, 46 seconds for George Floyd. That's how long he was alive while police officers were killing him. It was really very moving. I don't think that you need some flashy statement on the back of your jersey to really make a splash and make a statement. But I am just a bit surprised because if the NBA is really trying to allow players to be self-conscious and woke about this whole thing, why are they stopping at, you know, 12 phrases? Yeah, it's like kind of seen as like a symbolic gesture, kind of similar to how the NFL said they were going to start playing the black American national anthem before the week one games. And it's kind of like the same reaction. Like, how does this achieve anything? You know, I think that it's definitely a start. It's definitely better than nothing. But if the players are dissatisfied, I just hope that they can come up with more creative ways to continue to support the movement because the protests are dying down. The pandemic is in full force right now, really destroying America. So I really hope that the players continue to find creative ways to demonstrate and make an impact with that being said i want to move on to the pure nba news because since our last episode there has been some big nba news so i'll I'll just get right into it we'll start off with bradley beal we were talking about the race to the bottom of the east and last week we talked about with matt about how the nets have been damaged by covid now bradley beal is opting out of joining the bubble because he has soldier surgery He was averaging 30 points a game, 4 rebounds, and 6 assists, which is really great for them. 36 points per game after the All-Star break, too. Yeah, and I think in his past 11 games, he was actually averaging like 37 points a game, which is crazy. So, I mean, he could have really been the X-factor for the Wizards. I think with him being out, the Wizards are just not going to make the playoffs. Without him, without Davis Bertans, there's just no way they're making the playoffs. Yeah, there's no way. Those are the two best players that aren't playing. So, there's literally no way that they have a chance to make the playoffs. But with that being said, the team that's in the seventh seed, the Nets, have also been even more damaged than they were when we were talking about with Matt last episode. Spencer Dinwiddie is now officially out. We were hoping that he was going to come back to play, but he's actually not. The doctors, the Nets team doctors, told him that he should sit sit out. And so, then Torian Prince tested positive. He was averaging 12.6 rebounds a game, and now he says a positive for COVID, and he has to sit out. So what do the Nets look like now? We have Jared Allen, obviously. Obviously, Joe Harris. Obviously, Karis LeVert, who we talked about. I mean, that's the big three right now for the Nets. Who's going to step up now? Rodion Skrutz? Well, he actually had a great year last year, and um, he made some very dumb comments in the offseason about how he wants to be the Draymond Green of the Nets. He also had domestic violence issues, too, which I think landed him in the doghouse with Kenny Atkinson. But Kenny Atkinson is gone now. Jacques Vaughn is a head coach. And I think uh, if Jacques Vaughn does want to secure his job, I think playing Rodion Skouroux would actually be beneficial to the Nets. Also, the Nets did make a couple of free agent signings. Right. They we signed uh, Jamal Crawford. Who, who we were 
asking why he hasn't been signed yet, and now he's on our team. Right. He's on our team. He is 40 years old, but the Nets really need backup guard play. I think he's going to be serviceable. And the last NBA game he actually played, he scored 51 points. So he's clearly capable of putting up points, even at his advanced age. He also averaged a career-high in assists off the bench in his last year in Phoenix. So I don't know what's going to happen with him, but I welcome the signing. We didn't need that depth. We also signed Michael Beasley, which is everybody's favorite meme player. Which is actually even more funny, and it continues the meme because he failed the NBA's drug test. Like over a year ago. Over a year ago. So he isn't able to play all eight regular season games. Um, he has to wait until the last three. He has to wait until the last three and the, and the two playing games. So uh, he's actually it's pretty funny. The Michael Beasley meme continues. And then the Nets also signed Dante Hall. If you haven't heard of him, I didn't know about him either until today. He apparently had a contract with the Pistons last year. He averaged something like 16 and 10 in the G League. And the Nets only have one center on the roster officially. So they just needed a backup big. He's basically a zero-risk player. I think with the news with the Wizards, the Nets and the Magic are locked for the playoffs. Whether they're going to finish one or two, we'll have to see. But I think it's just going to be probably the Nets in the eighth seed. And, you know, this is just the Nets' chance to take a chance on a guy like Dante Hall and see what he turns out to be. And the fact that the Nets did make these moves tells me that they actually think they could do some damage in the playoffs. Right. I agree. And I don't think that... They're that wrong. I mean, I did look at pictures of Joe Harris. He really looks like Jesus reincarnated. Karis Levert, he may need back surgery after this playoff run because he's going to need to put this team on his back. But we have seen unbelievable performances from him the last two years. I don't think it is unrealistic to see him go off in the playoffs. But it really depends. If we face the Bucks. I really don't know that we have any chance. But I'm really welcoming an upset and... I'm extremely interested to see how this plays out. On that note, uh, a couple more players have actually opted in to the the bubble. Dwight Howard is actually confirmed to be joining the Lakers now, which comes out of relief to them because they needed uh, a player to back up JaVale McGee. And also, he'll be donating his salary to the Breathe Again Charitable Initiative. That's a a great move. Like I said, as long as players can continue to find creative ways to give back, they're going to keep making a positive impact on the movement. And Patty Mills is doing the same thing. He's donating the remaining million dollars of his salary also to Black Lives Matter initiatives. That's something that they can do that, unfortunately, the MLS can't really do because NBA players just make so much more money. So just to see these kinds of things, ways to continue giving back even when they're playing is very inspiring. I actually think Dwight Howard coming back is huge for the Lakers too because... He was playing really well. He had a very high efficiency rating. He was really giving a lot to the Lakers. You know, obviously his first stint with the Lakers went very badly, but he's really had a career renaissance as a guy who just cleans up off the bench. He's become a really good team player from the diva he was a couple of years ago. And, you know, they lost Avery Bradley, but now, like we've been asking before, is kind of the will-they-won't-they question of the season. You know, the bubble tea, if you will. Do you think that this is going to help the Lakers meaningfully in their quest for a title? I think it definitely will help them, and I actually think that them uh, getting Dwight Howard back for sure really cements to me that they're going to win a championship. But honestly, I think that 
it's going to be such a weird playoffs with all the uncertainty that we just have to wait and see. And on that note, I think the last thing we should talk about is the playoff picture because as of the time of recording, this, players are coming back. We could talk a little bit about the situation in the bubble. It looks pretty nice. Players are sharing their rooms, the pictures, what they're going to be doing. A lot of them are gaming. I know some players in the Mavericks are DJing. They're all having their little fun. You know, a lot of people are criticizing the meals, saying that they are unsavory. I kind of disagree. I think that these guys will live with it. They don't look that bad to me. You know, you're in a bubble if it's the best thing that they can do in the first two weeks because apparently it's supposed to get better. But right now they're having like these like airline flight sort of meals. They're, they're still savory. It's not like they're not getting meat or anything. They're full of nutrients. It's still a lot. But, you know, NBA players also like to eat a lot and they like to eat really good. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But the bubble looks okay. But I want to talk a little bit about the playoff picture because, you know, we started this podcast a month ago. And this was kind of just like a distant afterthought back then. But now it's really with every day, especially seeing MLS come back, it's looking like more and more of a reality. So. ESPN published power rankings earlier this week, and I just want to ask you a little bit what you think about those power rankings. So what do you find significant in those power rankings? Are there any surprises to you? Do you agree? Well, Milwaukee at number one is not surprising to me. I think they had the best defense and offense in the league before this season uh, got postponed. Uh, So I think them at number one is good. What was surprising to me is actually the Clippers are ranked above the Lakers. And I thought that was really stupid because the Lakers were 17-3 without Avery Bradley. So, you know, I don't think it's going to impact them that much. I think especially knowing that they're going to keep Dwight Howard, which I don't know if that was the case when they actually made these power rankings. I think the fact that Dwight Howard is back is going to be huge for them because it's just that added big that will allow Anthony Davis to rest. So I do agree with you. And, yeah, we've been talking about this again and again. I guess there's really only one way to find out about the LA Clippers, but I would put the Lakers above the Clippers too. Well, also what's uh good for the Clippers too is that Lou Wills has is going to play too. He's in the bubble right now and he was on the fence for a while saying he was 50-50. So I actually do think that helps the Clippers a little bit too. I was also surprised to see the Houston Rockets at number 5. I think they're much lower than number 5. I don't really see them doing too much damage because the NBA kind of figured them out. They were struggling. I know Russell Westbrook and James Harden did not join the Rockets on the flight for whatever reason, their team flight. So, you know, maybe they're going to be in a bit of disarray before the training camp. Who really knows? But I think the NBA kind of already figured them out, and I don't think they have enough time to really come up with a brand-new strategy to surprise on people. I think people will still be able to figure them out pretty quickly, and I think that they just have really big issues with their chemistry. But, you know, James Harden and Russ, they're two of the biggest stars in the league, and if anybody can surprise, it's them. I was also a little bit surprised about the Rockets because they were actually on a six-game losing streak before the season got postponed. So I don't really understand why they're that high. At the same time, why are the Sixers at seven? They're the same thing. I mean, they're a team that they really have been struggling. I think on paper, they're probably even much higher than seven because, again, they still are the team with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But they have been struggling. We cannot ignore that. And so I am a bit surprised to see them at number seven. I think they should be a lot lower. You have a team that is this in the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference with the seventh overall power ranking. That just makes no sense to me. Me either. But, you know, maybe they're just expecting them to come, come out and start strong. Either way, I do agree. I think the two big X factors in the Western Conference for me are going to be the Nuggets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
and it's all going to come down to one player for each of them. For the Nuggets, it's going to be Nikola Jokic, who we haven't really talked about the Nuggets too much. You know, we did mention that Jokic, he was sick with coronavirus, but he's been cleared to come back, so he will be in the league. He will be playing for the Nuggets, but he slimmed down. People noticed that at the start of the season, he kind of got a bit bigger, and he started off very slow. I had him on my fantasy team. He was my first pick, and he was very disappointing at the start of the season, but he picked it up, and he might be able to do a lot of damage. The Denver Nuggets have a very good team all around. And I think that is a similar thing with uh, Oklahoma City Thunder because they are in the playoff picture right now. And Chris Paul has really reinvigorated them. People thought they would be a lottery team with Chris Paul, but they've actually still been competing. They have a really good young core of guys. And I just hope that they are able to continue the chemistry that they had. So those are the two teams that I really want to look out for. And I think especially what's surprising to me is I would actually put both of those teams higher than the Philadelphia 76ers. Especially, like you said, the Sixers are so low in the Eastern Conference, it's surprising to see them as number seven in the league. Well, also, Andre Roberson has traveled to Orlando into the bubble. Wow. So, if he does play, that is another wild card, because we haven't seen him in a while, but he is an amazing defender. Completely trash on offense, granted, but he is an amazing defender, one of the best defenders in the league. And if the, the and Thunder... he doesn't have to start for them anymore either. He could really just come in because a big problem that the Thunder had when they had KD and Westbrook is that he was their option at shooting guard. He was the best that they had. Now they already have some players who are better than him, and he's going to be coming off an injury, so he can just slot in, take the best guy. He's, he, yeah, like you said, he, I really think that he's an X-factor for the Thunder going into the playoffs. Um, Dallas at 10, while in, I think it may be a little bit too high, I do understand why they are at 10, even though they are the 7th seed in the West. And I think this is actually a different story than, than the Sixers because I actually believe in the Dallas Mavericks a lot. I do not believe in the Sixers at all anymore. Kristaps uh, Porzingis was just starting to play into that uh, into that all-star form that he was with the Knicks right before the Rest season concluded. Rest in peace, concluded. the Knicks fans just continue to take L's, by the way. Yeah. And now he's gotten another four months off to heal from his surgery. And I think that Porzingis and Doncic have the potential to be one of the greatest duels of all time, in my opinion. But they said the same thing about Simmons and Embiid. Well, I think it's a little bit different because Because I think that these two actually mesh together. I also think Doncic is a much better shooter, too. Yeah, and... He also had arguably the greatest rookie season in history, Luka Doncic. So, you know... I agree with you. I think that, like like we have said, the Mavericks are our sleeper team in the playoffs. I'm curious what you think now. Obviously, they're sleeper teams like the Mavericks, but they're also teams that are just coming there to lose. I mean, we mentioned the Wizards, but also we really haven't talked about them much, but the San Antonio Spurs. LaMarcus Aldridge had season-ending surgery, so he will not be joining them. You know, they have DeRozan, but that's about it. They're really a weak team. They're very shaky for the playoff picture. And so I'm curious, what do you think the teams that have no shot at making the playoffs, or virtually no shot at making the playoffs, like we've been mocking the Kings, for example, or the Suns, don't even start the Phoenix Suns, they're not going anywhere, they would need a miracle. So what should these teams be playing for? Are they playing for chemistry? Are they playing for a peek into the new season? They're playing for their checks. Just call it how it is. Do you think the Suns players think they have a chance of making the playoffs? Honestly? If you no, I completely anything? agree. So they're just showing up to get they're just showing up to get paid. You know, they're going to be making millions of dollars for playing eight games. So they know that they're just coming to play and they're going to lose. Which the same thing for the Spurs, same thing for the Wizards, same thing for the Kings. I don't think the Kings are making it either even though they have a little bit of a better chance than the Suns 
but those players know that they're going they're playing to lose. They're just playing for money at this so point. So you don't expect to see too much of a concerted effort from teams like the Kings or the Suns. You don't see them really making a push, especially if they let's say lose their first game. So how does that that could dramatically alter the playoff picture? Because then basically the teams that are going to be playing the worst teams, so a team with an easy schedule like for example the New Orleans Pelicans, they may have a much easier time actually making it to the playoffs than a team like the Memphis Grizzlies who have a brutal schedule. So what should the incentive of teams that really need to fight for the playoffs, what do they need to be doing in order to secure their playoff spots? They got to they got to play hard and they got to win. I mean, if you want to secure your playoff spot, you're going to have to play well and you're going to have to win. It just comes down to that. Simple. Right. So yeah, I think that's about it. I think that the main things to look at in the Eastern and Western Conference, first of all, we'll keep you guys posted with the news. But I think the battle for the eighth seed got really interesting because the Wizards are basically out. Unless somebody completely surprises us and takes us off guard, I think it's virtually just going to be Nets Magic. So we have to look at those Nets Magic games more carefully because those are really going to decide the full playoff picture. I think in the West, the main story like we've talked about is the Memphis Grizzlies. Do they have the tenacity to get into that playoff hunt? Because I do think that the Grizzlies are a very, very very inspiring team they're very fun to watch they have a lot of chemistry and i think that if they can sneak into the eighth or seventh seed that they could be a really awesome team to root for in the playoffs especially with so much uncertainty i agree with you um the grizzlies are to me one of the most interesting stories along with the pelicans we're going to see if the pelicans can catch the grizzlies for the eighth seed or even just to be in position for the play-in uh but it's definitely Definitely going to be really interesting for sure. So yeah, that's our show. Just want to finish it off by saying Black Lives Matter. Thank you for listening to the Getting Buckets podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us there. You can find us on Spotify. Follow us on Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at GetBucketPod. Thank you guys for listening. I'm going to see you guys next time.